welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we are talking about season four, episode eight, type titled Cachada. Cachada. That's that's how the people in Louisiana say it, right? Yeah, I actually got a pronunciation guide uh, okay. from a Louisiana, that, uh, but it's it's got a lot more shat in the middle. Cushata. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I called up uh, Bob Odenkirk. He told me exactly how to pronounce it. Right, Cushata. <laughs> uh, yeah. He also said this... something about crawdads in his pants. I don't Craw- know. You don't want I don't that. know what it was. You, you no. don't want that. You want to you want to go to the clinic if you got crawdads in your pants. Absolutely. Uh, what do you think of this episode on second watch? Um, I I mean. I it's it's I enjoyed I guess I enjoyed it more I was able to settle down and like instead of being confused and dismayed by the choices um I got to just appreciate it as a as an art a piece of art because like okay I know all the things are going to do that I'm going to disagree with I've also thought about it a little bit more I've read some different takes online I've gotten some feedback processed so I do I guess I do I, I did enjoy it um, you know, this isn't like a terrible episode of television. <laughs> no, uh, this is not a this is not make this a garbage season of Better Call Saul. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm also a guy with strong opinions that take a long time to disabuse, and I still, on second thought, uh, am confused a little bit about what they're doing with Kim. There are some smart takes that maybe that that we have been getting like Kim foundationally wrong. Um, but that doesn't happen a lot with me when I'm watching fiction. So like, I feel like, you know, I don't, I don't know how mainstream that opinion is. I will say though, that it seems like by far the majority critical opinion and fan opinion was that this was a great episode of Better Call Saul. Um, Mm -hmm. and that surprises me. And every once in a while, you know, we are on the not sweet side of the bell curve that is society. It's like, you know, sometimes we're the lost souls out there hating on something that doesn't need to be hated. Um, <laughs> lost. Uh, but. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. That, that, yeah, Don't right? me in there. Yeah. Uh, so I'll throw back to you. That's kind of my way too long-winded thoughts and defense of myself. What, what about you? Uh, yeah, my opinion didn't change much on this episode uh, after seeing it a second time. I thought the stuff with Kim, yes, I've I've read probably a lot of the same explanations of it and rationalizations of it that you have online. Uh, I think all of those are perfectly valid ways to read Kim. But at the same time, I think the show did not do enough to prepare me, I guess, for this turnaround. Um, Right. And and so that left me feeling a little bit betrayed is a strong word, but it's, it's not totally inaccurate uh, by the show. Yeah. So, so I guess like that's my biggest hang up is, Yes, maybe I fundamentally misread this character, but I think I did so based on the information that the show gave me, which was a little bit misleading in places. Yeah, and I think that's, um, you know, in a lot of ways, this show is very much like a picture book, you know, like it's it's. It's it's very it's it's light on dial. It's very high on show not tell. Right? Um, mm-hmm. There's just instead of having a couple of lines of dialogue, they'll do a five minute montage to get you into the emotional and mental space that they they need you to be in. Um, and that's great. I mean, that's something we're always like a critical when someone does the opposite. Oh, they're telling instead of showing. Um, but mm-hmm. one of the problems when so much of the show is is expressed visually and in 20-second longing looks uh, by Ray Seahorn. And, you know, it's very subjective and open to interpretation. 
mm-hmm. and I'm certainly open to the idea that we are just misinterpreting the visual evidence. But again, you know, like uh, facial expressions and all that, and and people's looks of ennui, and th- those are all those are very open to interpretation, and and you can try to go with what you think the typical person would do. But so, like I said, I I mean, I don't want anyone to misconstrue that that I think the show is terrible. Uh, it's just that I was taken aback by, and not just this, like this is probably a handful of things this season that I felt like I've been thrown for a loop for. And that's, uh, a different kind of feeling for me from something out of Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould, because Mm -hmm. you know, breaking bad, like several times I was surprised most of the time in a delighted, like, Oh, that's even better than I could think of, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, this letter writing campaign, was something we dismissed as silly the previous episode, you know, like, oh, I can't be, it's, it's, you know, it's gotta, it's gotta be something better than that. Like the protest stuff is better than that. And so like, that's, that was, that was an unfortunate, um, pre prejudice that we put on the episode, but that, I mean, shit, I wasn't making it up, you know, that was my, that was my reaction to hearing that. So, um, yeah. And I think like, you know, when you make the comparison to Breaking Bad uh, and how you always kind of, at least in my opinion, I always understood the characters on a very fundamental level. Right. And, you know, maybe you were surprised by some of the choices they make from time to time, but it always lined up 100% yeah. with who we knew that character to be. This show, I think, is trying to do something slightly different. And yeah. it at at times, like this episode, just doesn't work with me because yeah. I have a very a very specific vision of what I think a character is. Right. And this show wants you to, especially this season. And I think like in retrospect, I'm going to view this season as kind of a weaker season, but uh, this season, it wants you to kind of question all of the things that you know. Uh And, and, and it's like characters are saying the same things. Like they don't know where they're going. You know, like Jimmy doesn't know how to feel about Chuck's death. Uh, Kim doesn't know how to feel about Chuck's death and Jimmy's reaction to it uh, and her own career. And I guess those are the things that are throwing question marks up in the air, which I look at and go, man, I wish I didn't have that big question mark, you know? Yeah. I, I, I wish I had more of a line to follow through on these characters. And I will say that even though I think our opinion is 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 what you would call an outlier, um, we are. I I did get a lot of feedback, like you know, thank God someone else is saying it, or <laughs> you know, I I don't see this take echoed anywhere, but I I feel like I'm not crazy for thinking, and you know, we we got a lot of um uh I guess because because the the tone of our 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 show has been a little bit kind of like a little reserved this year because you know just. You know, I, I, I bitch about Gus being a psychopath and like this various stuff. Um, I feel like our maybe our audience was a little more primed for it than others, but um, like because I, I say our mailbag was like more of a fifty-fifty when I was looking at mm-hmm. some of the um, public forums and like the Reddit message boards. It was more like ninety, ten, eighty-five. 15 with the 15 percent being heavily downloaded well uh, th- that's the thing like when you go to reddit and you're looking for opinions that mirror your own negative take yeah. uh you can't look at the top upvoted comments because reddit yeah, yeah, yeah. in in that subreddit and in most subreddits because they're all right. fans of the show right 
most of the top upvoted comments are going to be positive or going to say this is the best thing ever. Yeah. Uh, you got to you got to sift through all of those to see what the real opinion is. Yeah. And and the other thing is, like, if you're on a show that like the negative takes are getting the highest upvotes, it's probably a full on dumpster fire at that. Exactly. Point. Like because, Walking Dead turned. At yeah. Some like, point. And, but but the Walking Dead turned. La- literally the end of last season and uh, this off season <laughs> where they announce what their big plan is for you know what i'm saying like it's yeah, yeah. It, i would say that that dumpster's been on fire three three four years now and yeah so, glenn set it on fire when he was under there right and, right, right. and he left it burning when he crawled out <laughs> he did he did uh anyway so I, I i hope that's uh like i said i don't think this is going to be excessively negative um because I already kind of said my piece in the Instant Take podcast, and mm-hmm. I do appreciate some of the stuff they're trying to do. To some of it, um, like I said, not a terrible show. It just surprised me, and some of it feels unsatisfying. But there's two episodes left, mm-hmm. and there we'll, we'll see if they can kick a lantern off of the desk this year. Right, because that's they the can. Thing. They could historically they have really brought the thunder in the final couple of episodes. Right. So we'll, we'll they see kill, if they do they it. Kill Nacho's dad. <laughs> Jonathan <laughs> right. Banks could squeeze a few tears out. Murder and Werner in the desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kim could slip on a banana peel and break her neck, and she's literally slipping Kimmy. And wouldn't that be fucking ironic? Jimmy uh, could like, get crawdads in his pants. Who Jimmy knows? Jimmy could get crawl- actual crawdads in his pants <laughs> that he got from Kim, who's now Wendy. It's crazy. It's a crazy world. It's a crazy world. There's living. Oh my here. god. So we'll see yep. what happens. Before we get to the episode, uh, some housekeeping real quick. Here's what's going on at BaldMove.com. Uh, we are doing Empire. This is a season of Empire business. Uh, that's a phrase com- that, that a lot of people from Breaking Bad will recognize. Uh, Jim and I, for our Bald Move uh, club members, we're doing a behind-the-scenes peek at Bald Move, our finances, uh, how did we do advertising, building a podcast network, a tour of our studio. Those are dropping every Monday for club members, so you can check those out. Uh, over the next few weeks, we're also doing a podcast on Bald Move TV for HBO's The Deuce. If you like slow burn crime shows, oh my God, HBO's got a great one. Uh, it's from David Simon, the maker of The Wire, the cre- cre- creator of The Wire, who, for my money, is the finest show on television. Uh, we're also doing, uh, speaking of the Bald Move TV, we're also going to be doing a podcast on BoJack Horseman and Ozark later on involving uh, frequent co host Cecily. Uh, we're also doing, you know, obviously Better Call Saul season four. Don't forget we do instant takes every Monday night. And if you're a club member, you can call in or you can chat in through YouTube's chat interface to the instant talk podcast. Um, and that's it. That's what's going on here at baldmove.com this week. All right. Are you ready to get into the actual recap of this episode? Oh boy. (laughs) Is that a yes? (laughs) Am I ever? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, all right. Uh, okay, we start off with Jimmy saying goodbye to Kim as he embarks on a bus tour to Louisiana, during which he and several of the other passengers write a series of letters and postcards using the office supplies that Kim purchased last episode. When he arrives, he mails all of the cards. That's that's a true account of what happened. Um, it is, and I did it in far less time than the episode did. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the that's highlight- the thing, like... I feel like this scene is a little bit indulgent. I I understand. Look, they're showing all the trouble that Jimmy is going to. But, you know, the very basic concept of getting on a bus from New Mexico. Look, I've been on a bus from Cincinnati to New York, Uh and it's a fucking nightmare. It's 19 hours of hell. Uh, So you get on a bus from New Mexico to Louisiana, and I know what you're in for. You don't need to, like, belabor the point. Mm Mm-hmm. 
but that I don't know the show. I, I like I feel like the guy who was trying to sit next to him didn't need to happen, right? Right. Yeah. Like like cut out I, a minute of this thing and it's good. I feel like you know when because this is comedy. This is not is, yeah. like oh my god, what's Walter doing? Oh my god, it's an electromagnet. What's he going? Like this is this is a this is a comedy scene, and to mm-hmm. me. Uh, like when I watch some of the best comedies, when I watch like uh, Community or Parks and Rec, I feel like I'm watching the 10 or 15 percent best ideas this writing room comes out in. And when I watch other comedies, uh, I don't tickle my funny bone. I'm thinking like literally anything that came out of a person's mouth and went and someone went, huh, they threw into the script. Mm-hmm. This feels more closer to the latter than the because you're right. Like some of that stuff was good. But the, you know, taking a minute of dialogue to say, essentially, I ate some hot, greasy food and I'm going to have some hot, greasy farts. Ha ha. I'm like, I don't I don't know. I don't know. Plus, I took a look at that guy. He's the type of guy to sit down there just to piss Jimmy off. Like probably like it felt like it felt is a weak idea and it felt poorly executed. I did like I mean, some of the montage like him just pounding five hour powers like. That got a laugh out of me because that's me on a late night, you know, midnight run kind of scenario. Um, uh-huh. Dodging writer's cramp, trying to different grips. Um, Telling people it, not to curse in their letters. Which kind of gave us a little, like, it, but that's the thing. Like, a lot of stuff was begging the question or wanting us to be like, oh, my God, what's what's he doing? I'm like, he's writing a letter campaign to the judge. Like, yeah. and it, it's going to be solved in the first commercial break. Like there's this, the, and, and the stakes are low. And if he fails miserably, the worst thing that's going to happen is Hugh Babado goes to prison for 18 months, mm-hmm. which breaking bad doesn't start for another few years. Who cares? So yeah. that's the problem. And, but you know, I, I looked on Reddit and people are like, you know, we love these montages. We love the detail and seeing how like over the top Jimmy's planning is. And, I I hear that, but then when we get to the DA scene, and I felt like that was the place to go indulgent, like have the DA run down a deep rabbit hole and have me be impressed by Jimmy, how m- fucking deep his rabbit hole can go before, yeah. so, like even a reasonable person would be like, this is okay. No one would go to this before the effort. I, I, that that's what I'm saying. Like I felt like way too much time in the, the 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 dumb idea pile here, and not enough clever execution showing us. Like they 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 gave us all the moving parts. I wanted to see them in motion a lot more. Hmm. Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, I didn't enjoy this montage nearly as much as everyone else seems to have. But yeah, uh, I I've been notoriously impatient with their montages. They're what I view as indulgent montages. Yeah, uh, since the very beginning of this series. So no, and seriously, like I'm w- right with you. Like the, the when the montages are great, they're great, and this is expertly edited. And they spent so much fucking time on making it look like they're actually on this long distance bus trip to the heart, Louisiana. But you know, to to what end? Uh, let, let me ask you this: Do you think that Chili Dog Farts is this year's Squat Cobbler? Because we haven't got one. It needs a name. The, right. the long ride, the Cushada. That's what. <laughs> right. That's what. He'll, that's what the. This is what the act will become famously called. Uh, yeah. The, right. The, like you know, you're gonna get on a plane to Belize. You're gonna get on a bus to Cushada. Yep. Yep. It's the desert trip to Cushada. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, we haven't had a squat cobbler yet this year, and we're only two episodes from the end. So no, no, I don't know if we're getting we, one. Maybe we won't get it. Um, but yeah. All right, we move on to one of Crazy Eight's dealers. He's a little light on the take this week. Uh, Crazy Eight tells him to make it up next week 
but Nacho calls the guy over and rips the earring out of his ear, telling him he owes interest next time. Finally, he turns to Crazy 8 once the guy leaves and says, you should have done that. Yeah, this is a different Nacho. Like, we haven't seen him in mm-hmm. 10 months, but, you know, I, I, I will say that um, um, uh, even driving home on the instant take, I was still thinking about this episode, and I'm like, you know, we keep on harping on Nacho, like, having no reason to be put into the, like, ice, ice chest for a while. He's been recovering from a major gut wound. Uh-huh. Like, he's probably been on, like, I, 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 we said the episode before, we both agreed that he is beyond reproach as far as the Salamancas go at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, accidentally, like, like, the whole subterfuge, hook, line, and sinker. So, yeah, yeah, he's just been sitting around healing up and counting money in the count house. And I feel like, okay, yeah, like, that, that wasn't a valid complaint. <laughs> no, I mean, really, what he's doing there is he is biding time for Gus, right? Yes. He's running this operation, keeping things looking, uh, you know, all above board here as far as drug operations go. Right. Uh, while Gus builds the super lab, while Gus prepares right. his empire for the takeover of the Salamancas. Yep. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I like the subtlety with which Michael Mando plays this because you can tell even though he's here doing the things that Hector was doing, his heart's not in it, right? He's, yeah. He's reluctantly doing all these things. And I know it's yeah. partially Gus, but it's also just partially his morals. He's he's never felt like a guy who is cool with everything he's got to do here. Yeah, but also he's he's not cool. He's cold. Like, uh, you know, having to kill a man and being a slave to Gus and worrying for his father, like, has turned him into, like, uh, you know, this cold, th- this kind of cold machine. And mm-hmm. I, although I got to say, it's pretty ballsy to walk into a drug dealer's den and say you're light and you're wearing $30,000 of the jewelry. Fuck yeah, it is. <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like, I feel like, yeah, even, Nacho is well justified, criminally speaking, for, for ripping this dude's <laughs> earring out. Maybe he's got, he's got a little sympathy for the guy, because we'll talk about Nacho's pad here in a bit, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which is pretty ridiculous. Yep. Uh, but we'll get there. So, uh, I mean, we might as well talk about it now. It's the next scene. Nacho goes home uh, to where his two women and his massive pad are waiting for him. And he puts the take in bowls and picking toes. <laughs> that, pick toes. That, that is the 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 most alluring way to be greeted by your strung out. Mm. No, they they sit women. at attention when he gets home. They they like put away the toes. You know what's away, funny though? They establish yeah. that he walks in front of this big picture window where he sees them like animals in a zoo. And then he yeah. goes into it. So he sees that they're being lazy slobs. <laughs> right. They're not. You're not filing your toes. You're picking them. You're just. You're not doing anything. Like, and he doesn't give a shit. That's like. Ah, yeah. Anyway, continue. I just want to talk about the toe picking. Crazy. Yeah. So so he puts some portion of the take. I'm not. Uh, I'll ask you what's going on here in a second. I know what's going on, but for the sake of the show, uh, he puts the <laughs> take in the safe and he contemplates a couple of Canadian IDs, both with him and his father's names on them. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this pad. Uh, actually, let's talk about the IDs first because we need to establish what's going on here. Clearly, yeah. these are Canadian IDs for uh-huh. Manitoba. Uh-huh. Uh, it, there's seems to be the possibility that he is saving up money to run to get out of yes. this life. Yes, he wants to order a Hoover Max Vac Super Suction sixty four 
with mm-hmm. with uh, 1800 micron dust filter uh, and get his ass to, to yes that's that's clearly he's he is tr- he is biding his time doing what Gus wants but also trying saving up for Plan B. It seems like he could probably save faster if he didn't live in a 8,000 square foot mansion. This is the man who, in response to What's-His-Face's ridiculous Hummer, called it, he said, I wouldn't be caught dead in that thing. It looks like a school bus for six-year-old pimps. Uh-huh. I, I don't, this just seems like a catastrophically bad idea from an IRS standpoint, from a saving up for your father's pad like escapes i mean maybe he's thinking this is camouflage for their cartel like he's he's more right. worried that like well if, if i'm just living in the cut and i'm not spending any money even though there's no heat there's any heat on me they're going to get suspicious but like i don't know man I, I i'm with the american gangster school of thought that <laughs> this is just a bad idea yeah you know what makes them suspicious is skimming money from the take Right at, at the rate of like eight thousand dollars a month because you got to pay for your house. Like, right, right, yeah. Like it, it's it's pretty. It seems ex- and I, I again like I I'm not I'm honestly not sure what story they're trying to tell there because mm-hmm. e- any version of this seems a little bit at odds at what Nacho is 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 trying to do. Like the the most plausible one I said is that he this is like you know camouflage for the cartel like he doesn't get mm-hmm. he doesn't give a shit like and if, if he's in a situation for more than a year or two he's probably dead anyway so he doesn't give a shit about the irs he doesn't get shit about caught, getting caught by the cops he's primarily concerned that the cartel is going to clock him so he's mm-hmm. going to make it seem like he's a contented fat cat i mean i guess but boy that's a very specific reading of the circumstances and i mean i don't know how i mean he's, he's got no friend or confidant where he could like tell us this thing i it, yeah. it just seemed weird. It seemed weird. It's like the location scout was told to find the drug dealer's pad and went like Scarface when <laughs> there's yeah. been a lot of drug culture history between Scarface and now, you know? Yeah. And I look at the van that Nacho was driving a couple of seasons Fucking ago. right. The A-team yeah. van. It's a piece of trash. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, but, but then again, he is explicitly playing a part. So I'm giving, mm-hmm. I think this is a little schizophrenic. It might be intentional. I'm giving a little bit of leeway, but it's yet another kind of thing that I was scratching my, uh, my head on. All right. Uh, an interesting question that they asked on the insider podcast, Stephen Gould was, was talking about Nacho's father. You know, what, uh-huh. what is the status of Nacho's father? Is he in on this idea to run, uh, has nacho approached him with it all very good questions that we don't have answers to yet yeah. uh but it's probably fun to speculate on yeah what do you uh, my my thought is that there's no fucking way there's no yeah. fucking way that like it he like nacho's gonna plan to come in the middle the, the dead of night and say papa you need to come with me or they're gonna splatter your brains out and yeah what do you think then because like i honestly don't know like nacho's dads might be the kind of be like you know mio i'm punching out on this one yeah, you know, no, it could be. He might just you, want to stand you his ground. Me, you have killed me, Mio. <laughs> right here, have a <laughs> glass of milk. Yeah, yeah. All right. So Mike supervises the Germans at the strip club. Kai's having a great time, but Werner is not. So Mike takes him to a nearby bar, where Werner tells him that his father built the Sydney Opera House. Is that that doesn't seem right? 
But uh, the, uh, it's 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 in Australia's constitution that no <laughs> concrete can be poured except by Australian hands. This guy's a dirty fucking liar. I knew it. I knew it. You should have hired a Frenchman. This is bullshit. This is a fact easily verifiable on the Wikipedia. No, I don't. I don't know. Right. I guess Mike's gonna sure. find out. I mean, uh, but but this is setting you up for the fact that like I think this guy sees the drug. The, the super lab is his life's work, his distinctive yeah. endeavor, and he's not, he, it, it's like setting in that he's never going to be able to tell anybody about it and brag about it, and he's the type of guy that would. Yeah, apparently, because he corrects this patron's pronunciation of a German beer, which familiarizes the man with him. Then Mike gets called away to deal with a very rowdy Kai being kicked out of a club, and when he comes back, Werner is explaining that he's what he's building to a bunch of strangers, uh, including that guy at the bar, and Mike pulls him out. I this is a huge slip up and I uh, Werner doesn't realize it at the time but mm-hmm. I think you know once Mike has a little talk with him he does he comes yeah. around yeah. uh but yeah it's it's a big mistake and I wonder where it leads like can Mike kill the the Germans is he going to have to I don't I don't think he's going to kill the Germans I do think he might have to kill Werner um that is this this speech he gives about his Marga Marga Margarata or whatever her name is, uh, and the long as he's been away from it, like I mentioned on the Instant Pod, that is so much like a, a cop in the beginning of a Lethal Weapon, given the like, oh, I got I just three more days until I can retirement. I got my gold watch already. It says thanks for your service, and he's gonna die. He's gonna absolutely die. Um, yeah. I feel like that's the story they're telling they're telling here, and, and I get I hope it's not the big culmination of the season because i'm not that invested in this relationship this isn't mike and his son this isn't mike and his daughter-in-law this isn't my fuck this isn't mike and jesse this is mike and this sad german grandpa except for he doesn't have kids that has his chief characterization is that he's kind of a fuddy-duddy and an old school guy which is much like Mike, uh-huh. and he's a little bit of like a you know he, he gets in his cups and he likes to get philosophical. I, I you know he he's not yeah th- this isn't even Jesse shooting Gale like this is uh, the, the, I I don't know we'll see we'll see what they what 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 they can do with the music and jo- mm-hmm. uh, Jonathan Banks' face, but <laughs> I, I don't know I hope I hope this isn't the big thing of the season. They don't they don't tend to do much to Jonathan Banks' face. I'll say that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. I th- I think they have done enough for me to see that there's some kind of kindred spirit between the two men here. Um, they've only had a few episodes together and you know, it's, it's not perfect, but I do think they've done enough to where if he has to kill Werner, I'll feel bad for it. See, I think he needed to go one level deeper in far as like, like, if they had another episode and they got two more, but if they had the, mm-hmm. the be, before this conversation, because I don't think I think Mike now is going to put it appropriate boundaries in the relationship. Like this guy, I thought this guy was a pro, and I've relaxed, yeah. and and I think that's a little bit of a narrative fuck up because what I what I what I think I needed to connect uh, is that maybe Mike goes one more level of vulnerability where he actually talks about his dad, not yeah. just makes the dismissive. Oh, you left the cold water flat and a stack of bills, but like open up one little bit layer or maybe talk about his son or something so or his show, granddaughter kaylee the, right because i've always got the thus far that mike likes Werner. he likes the cut of his jib but he's mostly humoring the guy he's like hmm. 
I am the, this these person's morale coach, and I'm humoring is I'm I'm trying to learn German, but like I don't know. I always felt like a little bit like Mike was indulging Werner. Um, but again, I don't know. I'm a little bit paranoid because I feel like I've gotten the wrong reads out of so much this season. Uh, so maybe my instincts are bad. Hmm. What do you think? Uh, well, what I think, like, can Mike kill Werner? I think back to, like, the the time where nine, I think nine of guy, of Mike's guys were in prison in Breaking Bad. Right. And Walt wanted to go in and kill him, right? Right. To, to make sure they didn't talk. And Mike said... No, they're not going to talk. They're they're my guys, and I pay them well. They're loyal. Uh, I I don't quite feel like this is the same position. So I think it's possible possible that Mike could could go in there and just you know not machine gun them down, but have them all killed uh, because these aren't necessarily his guys. Yeah. So he doesn't have the same trust and faith, especially after this incident. Yeah. Um, I think this incident shows him that he shouldn't place that trust in Werner. Right, right. So that's the uh, thing. Like, I, I just feel like there's going to be no more development of this character meaningfully because if Mike's back to having boozy, half sob fest beers with him next episode, it's going to feel like that, you know. Yeah, you're right. Like, I uh, think he is going to put up the walls. Yeah. Uh, he needs to professionally. Because the other thing is Gus told him in no, no certain things, like, this is, this is on you. So, like, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons, like, you're not really... Sh- I always thought it was a bad idea to be like really buddy buddy with your like employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you certainly should get along with them, and there should be like some kind of camaraderie. But like, you know, go go into after hours beer stuff and stuff like because like you might have to fire these people. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> you, you, you you like it's like uh, hey man, it was super fun at the bar last night. Uh, hey man, I, I got to put you on a ninety day performance plan because uh, you came in late. You know, we all drank beer. Like that's it, just a, that's that's a tough corner to turn, and I think Mike is smart enough to know that. Yeah, uh, there there, and I think Mike does course correct here. You know, when he when he goes to Werner and he says. Look, you're you're fucking up big here. Think of all the things that you're going to lose, and think of what happens if you lose them. Yeah, uh, yeah. He he does course correct in this relationship. Let me ask you this: uh, I wonder if Mike feels a little bit responsible because he's gotten overly familiar with Werner, and now he thinks like you know, the, like this fuck up is partly on him. I mean, because... he took him to a bar where there were people around, right? I mean, right. That is kind there. of a mistake by Mike, you know? Sure, sure. It was, he, it was, he trusted so. too much in this guy's professionalism, yeah. and it bit him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, if I hadn't seen Breaking Bad, I'd be worried for Mike that Gus was going to take it out on him. Yeah, right. So, all right, we move to Kim, who's working on Huel's case as Jimmy leaves to finish what he says is setting up at the nail salon. And while he's there, the owner deduces that he's on the outs with Kim and gives him a stiff drink. Jimmy continues to work on the labeling of his cell phones. Yeah, I mean, here, that's like, I feel like me and the show are all yeah. the same page. This is this is the slow slide into, like, like Kim is freezing Jimmy out mm-hmm. of even simple, like, emotional interactions, like past assault, <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of thing. Um, you know, Miss Wynn here gives Jimmy marital advice and... That's kind of like when you're in the early stages of like really fucking up relationships, sometimes a sincere apology and a vow to do right is, well, you know, because obviously people trust that you're going to do that. But he's like, uh-huh. I think we're past that now, which 
thing is also true because you know even in this episode when Jimmy's play when Kim's is keeping up the freezing is like you know what never do this again I apologize it's tough it's just this will never happen like he just goes right to like the bullshit well but she is super receptive of it now for some reason so that's the thing he's saying everything that the audience is thinking right like yes jimmy fucked up by pushing her into this plan that she didn't want to get involved in yes because we know kim and jimmy knows kim turns out nobody knows kim and i don't i don't understand that, that i don't might... know why you turn that character around so hard I mean, stay tuned to the feedback, but that might be the key to our not understanding it. That like that that one of the one of the possible stories that this this show has been telling is that Kim herself does not know who she is, which is why she's sure. flailing around to like from corporate law to public defense to uh, mm-hmm. like that, that that they're telling a story that like Kim is searching about for what makes her happy too, and that she's found it in this episode. I think yeah. that's a valid take, but I don't know that I, – I, I don't know how the, how the majority of people would, would feel because, like, that I didn't that, – that's a take that was not anywhere near my radar. Hmm. Because yeah, it's, I, not, it's not like this is the first time she's done the scam, you know? Right. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about that in feedback. Okay. Uh, so Kim brings a train of lawyers to pile some pretrial work on the prosecutor – and the prosecutor sees the strong arming, but she's not really affected by it. Uh, she essentially tells Kim, okay, fine, we're going to do this. And Kim says the same. You know, Kim's prepared to take this all the way because yeah, she's got is, a plan. This is being played correctly by the people in, involved so far. Yeah. Uh, so the next day, Mike approaches Werner about spilling the beans to the guys at the bar. Werner maintains that he said nothing specific but Mike sets him straight, gives him a warning, and then Werner promises it won't happen again. Yeah. Um, I thought it was, you know, it's one of those awkward moments where um, the I, I feel like that Werner was playing a, a little dumb here. Mm-hmm. That, like, when he's like, oh, whatever is the matter, Michael? And he's like, and, like, he knew exactly, like, what he had done. And, and it kind of pissed off Mike that he had to, you know, say it, which is why I felt like he kind of went, into patronizing mode when he's like, you know what kind of precautions we took, you know how much, like he's essentially saying, you know, this is a vast criminal enterprise. Yeah. And what will happen if something goes wrong? We will kill you. You won't get docked pay. You won't be like, so we're now all on the same page. And that's why it's like the people that dismiss the theory of like the Germans being all killed or Kai himself being killed as like not being my, like, I don't know because now, like now that Mike has actually made the stakes explicit, I feel like he's going to have less of a problem doing what he what he might end up have to do if he has to do it. You know? Yeah, I mean, I always saw Mike as not killing the Germans because there was no need to. Right? They mm-hmm. hadn't they hadn't fucked up. They right. hadn't shown that they were going to tell anybody. You could maybe kill Kai and get away with it and have a little fun at the same time. Sure. Uh, Try but me. now. Things have changed because yeah. the guy at the the head of this project has shown that he has loose lips and yep. he can't be trusted anymore. So it's very much on the table again. Yeah. Uh, so we go over to Judge Neelix, who is irate that he's getting hundreds of letters from people in Hewell's hometown. Kim says that she had nothing to do with it, which is a fucking lie, by the way. Oh, my God. Kim is getting into so much trouble. Yeah. Uh, but she knows they're planning on sending people to the court case somehow. 
uh, and the judge instructs them to work this thing out. Yeah, um, I gotta say we, we've been calling him Judge Neelix, which is hilarious. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta give props to Ethan Phillips, the man's name, because only he can deliver this dialogue. Uh huh. Like maybe him and the guy from Prince's Bride. Wall, what was this guy? Wallace uh, Wally. Sean. Yeah, Sean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, his whole like it's like Miracle and Thirty Fourth Street in here. I'll have <laughs> Yahoo's packing my courts. Like it's it's hila- It is really fucking funny. It's yeah. really funny. Just like in a big and you know because he gave such a straight performance the first time mm-hmm. uh, that I felt like it made it land extra when he's kind of like Neelixing around the place here. Uh, it it was it cracked me up the first time I watched it, and it really cracked me up the second time I watched it. Yeah, um, here, here's the thing: I think you could have done without the montage at the beginning and yeah. just show this scene. We would have got it. We would have understood. Oh, all of those you know pins and markers and postcards yes. that she was buying ended up here. Yes. Uh, and and I, I don't know. It just it wouldn't have been an hour fifteen minute episode. It would have no. stuck to you know some of the TV standards and. I just, I don't know. It felt too indulgent. This scene, though, is really good. It almost like, I don't know if it's indulgent. I wonder if they feel like they have to do a montage in episode. Because that's the hallmark of the show? Yeah, that's like, that's their calling card, and like, they, they force it in. Because that's more like, you know, the fact that you're using every joke that you came up with instead of just the best. Like, it felt, this is the best idea we can have for a, a montage, so let's force the montage because we're good at it and people like it. And if we yeah. don't have it, they'll. But yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, Not everybody likes it, so I, I do want to say that there is because like that's the thing. There is a lot of subtlety in this part of the storytelling, like Kim rolling into the DA's office four attorneys deep, like. Mm-hmm. They are knocking every leg out from the DA's aggressive stance. Like, she thought this was going to be against a, a person with a prior record, and he's a lowlife. That mm-hmm. is knocked away. She thought it was going to be this guy's word versus a cop. They're knocking that away. She thought this was going to be a pro bono case that didn't have money and funds behind it. Knocking that away. Uh now she's putting they're putting political pressure on the judge so it's it's the story of this da being forced into a box um which will make my later complaint about like well let's because because my my complaint's going to be that they didn't do they didn't have the da who was portrayed as like really digging in like a honey badger here i felt like she her her actual investigation was too short and and ironically that's the part where they could have really been funny and clever and i guess that's hmm. my chief fr- like I, I the montage whatever my chief frustration is is an extra long uh, episode with a montage and the parts that i thought were entertaining and i needed more of they gave me less of so i, I don't huh. know but okay. also, like I'm getting to the uh, let me ask let me ask you this. Getting into the Insider podcast, mm-hmm. I got the distinct impression that like this is a they really brought this one in uh, late and over budget. Oh, as far as music goes, because I know well, I mean there were a lot of music cues that they had to hit. That was a big that that was the thing that made me start to say, "Aha, I wonder." Um, but I'm just talking about from like the you know the the bus scene. Like mm-hmm. that stuff seemed like it ate up a lot of time. Um, and like, I just wonder, and the the fact that like, you know, broadly speaking, the more film you shoot the more scenes you have, the more, so this is an extra long episode. I wonder if this is like some of this stuff got rushed at the end because 
they just had they they just had to go with what they got. We know how compressed these schedules are. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what I'm getting at when I say, hey, they maybe should have stuck to the standard TV mm. uh, schedule for this, like have a yeah. 42 minute episode because yeah, yeah. Th- they talk about this in the Insider Podcast how sometimes budget constraints, sometimes time constraints are a good thing uh-huh. for your project because it allows you to you know come up with solutions that you might not have otherwise had and oftentimes they work out even better than your original idea and i think but sometimes (laughs) but sometimes yeah sometimes they don't like if you're too Uh constrained but i think some rules playing within a defined space forces you to do things like oh i don't know maybe cut a minute and a half of a montage that's six minutes long Mm -hmm. uh because you simply don't have time to air that much and it's not important right like it, it can have the effect of chopping out the things that aren't actually important to this story. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is where Better Call Saul is kind of running into a trap with me. Um, it's just being allowed to do too much of what mm-hmm. it wants to do and not doing, not just doing the things that it needs to do. Right. No, so, I what, yeah. I mean, that's absolutely, I, I broadly agree with, with that date too. That they're spending too much time on stuff that's like fluff. There's there's too much sizzle, not enough steak. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the prosecutor and her underlings begin scrambling to figure out why all these people are coming to Hewell's defense. Uh, she calls some of the numbers in the cards and gets voicemails. Uh, she also gets a woman and a pastor who are all played by Jimmy and his film crew responding on Jimmy's cell phones. Jimmy uses a bad Cajun accent and uh, church music to tell her a story about Hewell saving a bunch of people from a church fire and that the congregation is going to be busing in every one of its members for his trial. After the call, Jimmy heads out, leaving the film crew to monitor the phones. Uh, uh, and here, I, I feel like this this should have been up on the whiteboard in the writer's room. Less is more. Yeah, Less is right? more. Like, you got, you got this fucking film guy pointing to less is more, mm-hmm. and you're overindulging in this very episode. I feel there's some kind of irony here. I, I, was, I had the exact same thing in my points, like... To me, they were doing everything possible to tell me the story of um, this DA not being fully mollified by that phone call she had with Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And then when they when they showed the vast array of cell phones and, 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 and the woman saying, is it over? Like, that's to me classic tension building for, like, three phones to ring at the same time. Like, because the <laughs> DA is going to, like, dub- and then, like, like, show, like, Jimmy really fucking Cuban Missile Crisising this thing. Yeah, I thought, and then like when it was just that was it, it was over. I'm like, I, again, I thought the performance of the DA was like a structure fire. Your church is okay, and like like it like like this this that was something she'd be like, okay. Uh, I I don't know, I don't know. I felt like they were setting up the plot of this just heating up, and it felt so perfunctory and short. I don't I I don't know. To me, that's that's that that feeds back in my dissatisfaction with the pacing of the episode, but. Hmm. I don't know. I I really like this scene. Um, Me too. I, I I was thoroughly entertained by everything that Bob Odenkirk was doing in the scene. I I might not dispute that. Maybe it shouldn't have ended where it did. And this is is weird. Uh, I, I think what I would have done is I would have taken out the phone call to the the makeup girl, which is her official credit. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I would have added. Yeah, some kind of catastrophe toward the end, some kind of fire that Jimmy has to put out. Some, something that maybe he foresaw but was hoping wouldn't happen. 
Yeah, no, right. Again, um, I like it when the villains are very sharp and clever and resourceful, and the hero has to be that much more so. And this felt like very Jimmy, like just a, a single volley. Jimmy knocked the yeah. ball over the net. She knocked it back. He turned it, and she, it, that's it. That was it. It wasn't like a back and forth. Um, and, I, and I unlike think, you, man. I was not. I love both Bob Odenkirk. I love what he does in Saw. I thought this Cajun stuff was cringy as fuck. <laughs> I mean, it's supposed to be a bad accent. Like, like I watched this scene with my head in my hands the first time. I know it's supposed hmm. to be a bad accent, but, like, then the DA is fucking stupid for falling for it. Like, it's a Foghorn Leghorn accent that's giving ludicrous details, and that's the thing that just case, case closed? I, I don't buy hmm. it. I don't buy it. So hmm. um, it's one thing for him to be kind of shaky and cringy when you're supposed to understand that the, the audience is gullible or you know, desperate or whatever. But like when the opposition is supposed to be competent, like on the level of Kim kind of competent. Yeah. Like, like what if Kim was, what if Kim not knowing, you know, what if Kim was on the other end of that line? Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, she recognized Jimmy and all, but like if it's someone giving that level of performance, you, would you think, would you think, Oh yeah, that was a brilliant subterfuge that took in the great Kim Wexler. Would you be like, damn, Kim Wexler just got wharfed. I thought now, they are trying to do two things with this scene. They're trying to show they're trying to inject a lot of comedy through the accent uh, being intentionally bad. But they're also, yeah, trying to show that this is the thing that sealed the deal. And I think I agree with you yeah. that that this D.A. should ADA should have been more with it than to just buy this. And I think right. that's where, you know, a second second volley comes in, right? Like 60 to 90 more seconds where they do a, a, the next level that yeah. actually seals the deal because obviously the Falgorn Leghorn stuff was just ridiculous. That would be in funny and something that I would have been on for. I, and so I, I don't know. Like, And I uh, think this scene is another scene that would have been better served without that montage at the beginning. I think yes. you if you don't make the connection that the cards are drawn with kim's pins then you make Mm -hmm. the connection here when the numbers on the cards go directly to jimmy's cell phones right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it it all just comes it all clicks into place at some point and you can feel a little more clever than you do with this montage at the beginning Uh uh-huh uh-huh yeah no i i i again i agree all right uh let's go to although i let's talk about real quick this donation site because i i do love Sure. They set up a donation site for for this church and for Huel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this for anybody who's seen Breaking Bad calls right back to savewalterwhite.org. Yep. I, 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 I can't remember. It's savewalterwhite.something, save com or org, uh, where, you know, Walter Jr., when he finds out his dad has cancer, sets up a, a PayPal kind of donation thing for mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is this is just perfect as a Breaking Bad fan. Yeah, and it's functional. If you click the donate button, yeah. it actually goes to a food bank in Louisiana. So I, I right, this is a real website. It's it's like if you, if it had generated a couple thousand bucks from them too, that'd be that'd be pretty that'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, it would. I think it's a little anachronistic because you remember like, uh, I don't I don't know that they'd have this nice look in the site back in two thousand <laughs> what two thousand four four right and then like later on like uh, Walter White save Walter White was a very Geo Cities looking kind of piece of shit but then again yeah. I guess Walt Junior is the one that came up with that he's not a professional right looks he's like just the, some high the, school kid yeah the Shada parishioners a little bit more well healed so maybe they had a a really really good web developer back then yeah. Uh, Maybe, but it's 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 cool. There's a lot of good, and also you can call the number on it, and it's uh, Bob Odenkirk doing his Foghorn Leghorn again. 
Yeah, uh, as the pastor, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty good. God has directed you to call us. Yeah, it's it's really funny. All right, so Jimmy goes to the courthouse where Kim meets him, and she makes it clear that they have reached a deal when she plants a big old kiss on him. Uh, Kim, it, the, the, it worked. The plan worked, and it turned Kim on. Yeah, the the heart wants what the heart wants, Jim. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about this other than I guess this is the moment where Kim goes, oh, yeah, I actually really like this scamming thing. Yeah. Uh, it it makes sense fun. for my life. It's a lot more fun than cracking dusty legal books. Um, yeah. And or, I guess we should say that specifically this plan, you know, absolutely works. Fuel gets no more than four months of probation. Mm-hmm. So he did do zero time, which is what the man, the big man wanted. Yep. So later that the next morning, I guess, uh, Jimmy's laying in bed doing Bayou voices for Kim. Uh, he's impressed with the deal that she got Huel, which includes no jail time, as you said. She's got to leave because she has a ton of work to do. Uh, I, I want to play. I I wish I had some clips because I want to play a game. Tell me whether this clip is a Bayou impression or an Adam Sandler character. Because I do feel like he's channeling some of Adam Sandler's worst characters here. Right, right. Yeah. And of course, he's channeling, you know, just his senator from the uh, from fucking show. Oh, Mr. Show? Mr. Show. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Couldn't think of the name of it. Uh, yeah, apparently he's done this character basically before uh, as yeah. a senator, not a pastor. Right. It's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so during a meeting with Kim and Paige, Kevin asks if they can redesign one of the Mesa Verde buildings. Uh, Paige is very much against it because it, they've already set up a timeline and this would completely disrupt it. Kevin's disappointed, but he backs down when Kim agrees with Paige. And Kim goes back to her office and ponders this Zafiro Añejo stopper that she got while she was scamming with Jimmy. And it seems to give her an idea. Time for cocktails. Yeah. Time Get to, some tequila. To pounds of tequila shots. Um, yeah, uh, I can't remember if this came up in the instant sake podcast or if it's a feedback, uh, that I'm going to spoil now, but what do you think of the idea of Kim, the, the, the theory that Kim is, wants to do some kind of crazy Jimmy thing to make Kevin's pipe dream happen. She wants to do some kind of, uh, slipping Jimmy scam on whatever city they're putting this bank in so that Kevin can get his way and she'll look like a miracle worker. That's possible. I feel like that's the, the one that's kind of more most like the fact that she, that, that she can't get that what he wants. Like it's sticking in her craw and she's like, she's feeling her yeah. oats. Like that, that's the, the, the idea I'm really repping uh, this week, I think. Yeah. I think it's the most plausible given the order of these scenes and the order of events. Yeah. Yeah, although I do have a crazy-ass theory that I want to deploy after reading the feedback. Oh, boy. Okay. It's, like, crazy, and I did it because I thought it was funny, but the more I've been thinking about it, the more I think it's it's possible. All right. Uh, in the Super Lab, Mike tells Gus that they're behind schedule, but the work is solid. Gus asks him about Werner's slip-up, and Mike vouches for him. Uh, th- this... This would have me scared if I had not seen Breaking Bad, because mm-hmm. cause I would think that Gus might transfer Werner's slip up onto Mike because sure. Mike is tasked with, you know, keeping this guy in line, this whole team. Sure. It's the Vader management principle. Right. 
Yeah, just, Admiral just... Ozzel's about to get his neck broke. Yeah, yeah, you're going to try to blame it on your underlings? Uh-uh, uh, buddy. Uh, you jumped, you are the one that came out of light speed too quick or not soon enough, or I forget what strategic blunder he made. Yeah. Totally deserved to be forced joke, though. Um, <laughs> I... <laughs> No, I love I, I like this scene because like one of my favorite uh one of my favorite phrases is the come to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I love like Mike's the kind of like and I've always heard it delivered by like some 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 hard ass guy. Uh and I, I love that they yeah, Mike is is I think it's the first time I've ever heard a come to Jesus in a television show we've covered, but I like it. I like it. So right. It's right up there with going ape shit as one of my absolute favorite huh. phrases in the human 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 language. Shitting the bed. I know you're shitting a fan of bed, that one too. Big fan yeah. of shit in the bed. You know, <laughs> uh, I'm 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 surprised I like the chili cheese uh, shit farts better hmm. because that seems yeah. to be seems to be in my wheelhouse. Shit in the bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, let's move on to Jimmy's tour of a potential office that's not quite what he hoped. It had you know mice problems and. All kinds of stuff. Uh, Kim shows up and she says that she's been thinking about things, which Jimmy takes as bad news. And he begins to apologize profusely to head off the worst of it. But to his surprise, she's there to say, I want to scam again. Let's do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's such a bizarre scene to have Jimmy not just lay out bare what an insane risk that they just took for stakes that are you know completely invisible to kim and not that big a deal for jimmy um and then kim's like yeah i want to do it again i i was floored i was floored and still kind of am again i've I've read some takes i think some of them are valid um it's just uh my my initial reaction kind of still lingering reaction is boy this this didn't feel like the direction they were trying to take kim it felt like it came Mm -hmm. out of nowhere but um, again, that seems to be a minority opinion. Yeah, and I guess maybe I should feel the weight that this nine-month fast-forward has put on Kim. Yeah. Um, you know, but I kind of don't because I look at her doing the PD work that she was so excited to be doing. Mm-hmm. She seems to have gotten everything she wants. And I don't think that when Kim is bored, she goes to illegal scams. I think when Kim is bored, she looks for something else, but not this. Uh, every, every turn and at every turn, she's told Jimmy, you can't do this. Yeah. It's like, but I mean, it's a hobby she's familiar with, you know, like if, if Jimmy was in a needle point, maybe she returned to needle pointing, but Jimmy is into scamming and now she's, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I, I do agree that other people have viewpoints and they're valid. This is a subjective opinion. It just, it, it, it's in my subjective opinion, it, it's, it was a left field. Uh, it was a left turn in Albuquerque, literally. Let me ask you, what chance do you think you would give of Wexler and McGill happening now? I mean, this does open up the whole, like, Kim being the brains behind the Saul. Like, she's the wiz- she's the Wizard of Oz, and Saul is the big, giant, green face, and she's the person behind, like, like uh, you know, K- Jimmy didn't get Emilio off two times and work a miracle. Kim does. <laughs> so it's a, like, it's a, it's a legal shell company. Like, I do think that is a thousand times more likely. Yeah. Um, and I can also... I'm 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 kind of warming up to the idea too. Well, I'm warming up to the idea that Kim might go along once again with Wexler and Miguel. 
she might give that a shot once Jimmy gets his license back. I don't, I'm not saying like that's going to persist into, you know, four years from now into Breaking Bad, but huh. I, I think the it's back on the table that this partnership might exist. I think, no, I, I okay, so if you ask me if I think Wexler McGill is going to happen, I'd say absolutely not. I do think huh. that the, the well, track, like, really? No, yeah, I think that the track they've laid has been um, that it will be this front, this front company, this bot. Like, oh, like the, the, okay. I mean, that's Wexler McGill in spirit, okay. certainly. Well, I, it's but it's it's different that like you're, I'm you're thinking like that Kim's still going to be kind of straight and narrow. I think she's going to break huh. all the way bad and sure, sure, sure. You know, uh, like like essentially rep, but uh, yeah, the the thing I guess I don't understand is why would Kim agree to do like? Will she continue to do pro bono and act like that she's? I don't know, because honestly, I want to talk about my uh, my 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 crazy Kim theory. Uh, okay, which maybe I should, maybe I should. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm ready for it if you okay. are. Okay, so here here's my here's my crazy Kim theory. Uh. Because we both agree that they tied the Kevin and Paige scene with her Zafiro bottle gazing, and yeah. I want to do it one more time. What if Kim breaks way fucking bad? What if Kim, like, what if Kim is going to use her power as a person overseeing all these financial transactions and bank expansions, and she's going to steal like Ocean's Eleven kind of money, uh, and th- and then leave Jimmy holding the bag, and she's gonna go like to Caracas <laughs> or someplace with uh, fifty million dollars. Uh huh. It's the like, office space plan. Uh, no, no, not even that. She's Fractions just gonna nakedly sin. just gonna nakedly steal the money because like Kevin's gonna trans like, hey Kevin, I got a way to make this happen, but you got to transfer ten million dollars in this account tonight to make it happen. He does it, and she's gone, and the, the, she's out of bil- she's out of Jimmy's life and and everything. Or Man, then maybe I, maybe she's maybe that's the better call Saul thing that she's she's like uh, trying to, to to launder all that money for the, the to the end of time. I, okay, I <laughs> I can't see that happening, but I let me it was tell really you, funny. But the more I thought about it, it seemed like the lineup. Well, let, let me tell you why I don't see that happening. It's because uh-huh. she kind of needs Saul to be the really sneaky part of this. Like, uh-huh. I think Kim has some good plans and she can operate within a certain set of rules, but Jimmy operates outside of all the rules. And Jimmy is the one who can set up all these scams and convince people of things. And I think she needs the, you know, the jelly to her peanut butter. And if she didn't have that, I don't think she could pull off a scam that big. Sounds like Jim saying she needs adult male supervision. Controversial opinion to be sure. No. <laughs> I, I think she needs her other half. Yeah. Um, huh. Yeah, because, like, I, I, honestly, I think part of this is a reaction to me seeing that this is such a fucking gonzo move from my perspective that, like, what is the gonzo move of this gonzo move, which is to have her be, like, secretly the Sith Lord, you know, that she's going to de- dethrone Jimmy. She's going to be the come that she's going to, he was the teacher. She'll be, because the thing is, is, like, I think Kim is smarter, diligent, and harder worker, harder harder working than Jimmy. So, like, if she just decides to start lying all the time, I think she's instantly better than him. Like, I mean, she doesn't have the experience, I I guess, like emotional control, all that kind of stuff. But for this particular scam, I don't think she would need it. It's a very technical scam. Yeah. Um. And then, then now, like, whether she. Like, uh, I originally said, like, you know, that Jimmy will be holding the bag. I don't know about that because I do. Now I'm starting to think, like, this is going to explain why she's behind the scenes and that they're essentially, like, independently wealthy. But I don't. Why? 
I don't know. Like, if if Jim and Kimmy independently wealthy, would they still engage in Better Call Saul stuff? I guess they would. I mean, I think I think yes. I mean, if yeah. Kim's getting a thrill out of it, and that's just what Jimmy does, yeah. Then yeah. The other problem is that like Kim Breaking Bad in this way isn't the different is different than her like getting into Walter White type shenanigans. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's probably not. I just want to talk. I, I just want to get it out there. All right. Someone I sent think... me that five page email. I'd have been like, whatever, buddy. Next. Yeah. Yeah. That's the per- for sure. That's the, that's the perks of being the co host. All right, let's talk about what I think is maybe the second best scene of this episode. Uh, And it's the final scene. Nacho shows up at the taqueria to find a new face in the kitchen, a man named Eduardo, a.k.a. Lalo, and he's here to give Nacho a hand with the numbers. Uh, This guy storms onto the screen and takes over, in my opinion. Yeah, he's really good. Like, um, once we did that correction where we found out that this guy was, you're supposed to understand he's Lalo, and this is like ties back to some of the earliest roots of Breaking uh, Breaking Bad. I, and I watched this guy's performance, and he's doing this kind of like really mixture of, um, like, like he's got a lot of like the in your presence. Uh, or in your face kind of like charm and friendliness but with an underlying tone of menace that like Don Eladio's got Mm -hmm. but he's also got like the flair and the like like kind of like really weird scary energy right underneath the surface of like a Tuco and he's cooking the way like so often we saw Tuco cook in the series Um, and so like I just immediately saw him as this really great fusion character to the point um, and then did you hear the there's a theory going around the Reddit that um Raymond Cruz was supposed to be like this was supposed to be Tuco's homecoming, but like huh. he was unavailable, so they went with this for a plan B. Now I could that was that that seemed like just people making shit up on in the internet. Mm-hmm. But it it wouldn't surprise me because Well, like, when we were watching it, we both said, Oh, this must be Tuco. That's one of the reasons I think I was left cold because I was expecting Tuco and then I got this guy and I'd missed the Lalo part. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, 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 on second watch this scene, this, this, this was, this was a great scene. And I immediately, like if, if, if I had heard the Lalo, cause it's like, it's, it's very, he's kind of like all, he, he's speaking Spanish and I'm reading the subtitles and then he switches to English and it's like a really, it, I, I just yeah. missed it. I just fucking missed it the first time. But now knowing that and how nicely this ties back into the beginning of Breaking Bad, I think this is, this is, this is brilliant. This is potentially brilliant. Yeah. So I, I really like the performance he was giving. And also you're right. It comes with a lot of baggage. If you've seen Breaking Bad, because we know of Lalo, mm-hmm. uh, we also know some things about the Salamanca family that kind of spell out the fate of Lalo, um, at least in Gus's mind. And I right. I think that Gus would have a good handle on who is and is not alive. So in Breaking Bad, Gus at one point tells Hector after the Don Eladio thing where he goes and he mm-hmm. kills, you know, just mm-hmm. the, the whole cartel, essentially. Right. He goes to Hector and he says, you the, one of these guys was the, the last one aside from you. Uh, of the Salamancas. You're all yeah. that's left. Your whole family is gone. Yeah. Uh, so we can surmise from that that Lalo must be killed at some point between yeah. now and, and then. I think it's uh, a safe sur- surmisal. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing I think about that is that we don't know the fate of Nacho. So Nacho may live. Nacho may be taken out by Lalo or Gus even. Um, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That, that's really the interesting part here, right? Lalo's going to be an obstacle that Nacho may or may not overcome. And it's also the hint that they are eventually going to reunify these plots because yeah. Saul knows—I mean, he doesn't know, the, obviously, the disposition of Nacho and Lalo at the time of Breaking Bad, but he knows enough to know— of their like you, you know like like saw so, so, jimmy has no idea any of this is happening and is, doesn't know who the fuck lalo is like mm-hmm. he's going to get familiar with it uh before the series is up and that's exciting because that's one of the complaints we've i, I not necessarily me because i figured they would eventually this this wouldn't continue to be two shows that just happened to share the same fucking hour mm-hmm. um like that that eventually they'd get to the point where they did it this is just like the fact that they did it and brought in this character and the, I, the cat, the casting was really well done. I just, yeah, I, I think this is potentially a great way to, to, to round the show into its final shape. All right. And that's it for the episode. Hey, before we get to the feedback, I want to tell everybody once again about the club at club.baldmove.com. Uh, we talked about in the housekeeping section how we've got this Empire Business podcast. We've actually got a couple cool features for club members right now. The Empire Business, if you want to see behind-the-scene looks at a Bald Move, that's really cool. We're also doing the Instant Talk podcast where you can go to baldmove.com the night the bald that the Breaking Bad airs. If you see it on the East Coast time, you can watch a live recording of our podcast and then us interacting with fans. And if you can't catch it live, you can always just check it out on baldmove.com. All of those things are archived. Uh, but if you go to club.baldmove.com, you can see preview versions of all of these different features, the bonus features you get, and like a description of all the things you get by joining the club. Uh, check that out. You can also try it for free for 30 days just by signing up at club.baldmove.com. Are we ready for feedback? I think so. BetterCastSaul at baldmove.com is where you want to send this stuff. As we typically do, we have a few takes from last week that I want to back clean up on. Uh, first up, Megan H. has some commentary on our uh, analysis of the Schweikert situation last week. She goes, as a lawyer who works at a large international law firm, it's completely normal and not at all considered cheap to have lawyer-only retreats. These are intended to create camaraderie, create or build on relationships that might be useful for your work, maybe learn something at a daytime seminar or two, and generally experience your colleagues in a different, looser setting. Having spouses or significant others there would ruin this as you're essentially just babysitting them the entire time and trying to make sure they aren't bored or left out. Or getting into a dick measuring contest with your boss. Jimmy was awkward and presumptuous and lacking in social grace to insert himself in whatever the exact right response was from Schweikart. He definitely didn't start this. I mean, what, should he have uh, led him on and pretended like he was invited? <laughs> right. Um, I mean, I, I didn't have this experience because I've definitely been on swanky corporate retreats, but they were always like, bring your family, and that was kind of like part of the team building like get your spouses involved with like the uh, i mean you know I, I i don't know i guess everything everybody's i could definitely see the appeal of this too because uh it seemed like when you had the family around the topics tended more towards complaining about work rather than talking about solutions and stuff because it's always huh. like oh we work too hard and yeah i wish they you know so uh interesting perspective uh, Reginald has uh, a conversation. He wants to talk about the the injustice that was the uh, the assault charge on on one Huel Babineau. Uh, Reginald says we can't unknow what we know. So when it comes to Jimmy's cell phone hustle, it would be easy to side with the police against Jimmy, but that would be a mistake. We, the audience, know that Jimmy can be devious. We know he may be doing a certain amount of disservice to his employer by selling his cell phones on his own instead of at the store. We know that Jimmy has the possibility of a customer conducting illegal business over these phones, and he uses those as a selling point. 
All of this and more we know might lead us to agree with the officer who tells Jimmy to stop selling these drop phones. But let's stop and really look at what points the officer's trying to make. Are the phones illegal like crack or legal yet harmful like cigarettes? The policeman acknowledges that the phones are not evil in and of themselves because he doesn't really tell Jimmy to stop selling them. He just encourages Jimmy to cater his business to soccer moms instead of lowlifes. The first point uh, is that people can be he's making is that people can be lumped into one of two categories. In your mind, in his mind, you're either good, the soccer mom, or bad, the lowlife. But if a person's all good or bad, what kind of person is this policeman? Being highly decorated, as the prosecuting attorney tells Kim, uh, officer makes him a good guy. But what about his DUI conviction? Ask someone who's lost a loved one because of a drunk driver and see how they would judge someone who gets behind the wheel while impaired. Skylar White definitely would have been classified as a soccer mom type, but she ended up helping facilitate her soccer husband's drug empire. Uh, the next point the guy makes is that Jimmy's helping these lowlifes in a criminal enterprise by selling them a legal product. But why stop there? Shouldn't Walmart be shut down for selling these lowlifes groceries? Shouldn't the doghouse drive-in restaurant have to move out of the neighborhood for selling hot dogs to those miscreants? Again, if you have a prosthetic or a mohawk in Albuquerque, you are part of the criminal underworld. <laughs> right. Uh, locking people in the rigid don't groups. Don't you forget it. <laughs> <laughs> locking people in the rigid groups and then denying one group access to rights and others the others have is a slippery slope that leads to prejudice, discrimination, and persecution. I told like this is very much high on a soapbox, but I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, yeah, like I I said, he's not doing anything illegal. Yeah. Like I I side with Jimmy on that, but I also side with the cop on the intent here. The intent yeah. is what is problematic, and we know. The Walmart doesn't intend to sell, you know, burner phones to criminals. They're they're selling to a general public. They're not marketing like, hey, come get your privacy here because the man might be listening to your drug conversations. Right. They're marketing in general. So, like, there's a big problem with intent on Jimmy's side. Like, like if there's a a company in town that sold lockpicking tools. Mm Mm-hmm. It's one thing if their billboard shows, like, a friendly locksmith and he's picking in the broad daylight with, like, a mom who's got her keys and her kids around her. And he's like, you know, it's all like if the billboard was like a dude in a fucking Hamburglar costume uh-huh. with, a, with a maniacal look on his face and a residential door and the pitch black at night, people would lose their shit. So, right. Like, I think Jimmy's a lot closer to the latter than the former. But yeah, in general, to live in a free society, you got to understand that, you know, you're going to have to tolerate a certain amount of this shit. And that's why the cops get paid to fucking investigate stuff and and crack down on illegal uses of legitimate products. So mm-hmm. um, I saw it's, it's an interesting conversation to have. Um, Marina. We've given some thought as to why Mike and Werner would become friends. Despite their risks, Mike doesn't have many close people in his life. However, he's very protective of the few people he cares about, and the show writers want us to see that Werner is one of those 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 people. Mm, we know, but I think he crossed the line. We know from Braba that Mike has, to put it mildly, a poor relationship with Lydia. I like this theory, Jim. At some point, he states that he she deserves to die just as much as any man he knows. I'm not sure why Lydia would have Werner and his crew killed, but we saw in Breaking Bad that she has no problem taking out a crew of people when she thinks they're at risk. If mm-hmm. I'm right, Werner's murder is why Mike hates Lydia as much as he does in Breaking Bad. There's, so there's there, a- there is potentially some connection here because they're Germans, yes. and we know Magical Electromotive yes. is a German company, so maybe yes. Lydia supplied the engineers for this. 
Yeah. Uh, Or at least the contacts. Especially if she did this just as a way to get even with Mike, if she somehow figured this stuff out and, like, raises the security red, like, there's not not a ton of connected tissue here, but... Mm -hmm. It does have a certain elegance to it, and I do think that Mike would seethe like nothing else if Lydia had forced his hand into liquidating Werner in this way. Yeah. So that would be a way to like make me buy the stakes, even if I don't buy fully the relationship, because absolutely Mike would be livid if something like that happened. Mm-hmm. Especially when we see how fucking silly you know, Lydia is in general when it comes to operational security. Yeah. Um, Tyson, maybe it's just my TV, but are you noticing the horrendous makeup job on Bob Odenkirk? I don't notice it all the times, but some scenes he looks like he has jaundice or a sunburn is having a war for which color his face is going to be. <laughs> I've noticed it on a few other characters here and there as well. It seems like how tight everything the show is. They'd have better makeup and or lighting. But once again, maybe it's just my TV, but I don't notice with other shows. Yeah, we have noticed that, right? I mean, yeah, some scenes look sort of weird i guess i i i don't know what to attribute that to i wonder if it's when they do the extreme color shift that like because like they, they make it you know make up a set for certain um you know colors of light and mm-hmm. the things are going to wear and when they slap an extreme blue filter over some stuff which they've kind of been wont to do of late um i wonder if i wonder if that's what's what's causing it because yeah there's there's several times where i've looked at Bob Odenkirk, and it looks like he is, like you said, his face is bruised or something. Hmm. Um, but, but yeah, I've noticed that with him and Kim. I thought actually Huel was poorly made up in one episode. Um, but uh, I, I that it, I, so if it's just a TV, it's it's a problem with several TVs. Um, if anybody else that I know, we have some people that are like actually have some experience with photography and cinematography. If you've noticed that and can explain it. Um, it could also be, um, I noticed that when we switched, we used to have cable and we switched to, uh, um, television over fiber. And I noticed that this particular company does compress the shit out of the signal. And I wonder if that also like, like you, you're seeing it you're noticing it more cause it's banding up or whatever. I, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've noticed it too. Uh, Ian J, you've cast doubt several times on how Mike would feel if Gus kills the Germans or asks him to do it at, at the end of the construction, but you haven't brought up the idea that Gus might lead Mike to think that they're being taken back to Germany, but then secretly have someone else take care of the dirty deed. Uh, this could happen if Gus becomes aware of their semi-friendship and thinks that asking Mike to kill them would be problematic. Uh, the twist would protect Mike's image of Gus, and as an added bonus, would cast some extra doubt on Gus's claim to Walt and Breaking Bad about sending the cleaning ladies to Guatemala. Yeah, I could. I mean, the thing is, is like that wouldn't. I, I, Gus, his envelope is way bigger in my mind now of what he's capable of doing. <laughs> right. So he could just be like, like you don't want to be sent back to any place by Gus that starts with G. Germany, Guatemala, <laughs> Guam. It's all, all, all bad, all bad news. He's gonna feed him to the coatees. <laughs> Got just a whole um, gaggle of coatees now. Someone sent us a stuffed the, the Kawadi, the the weird raccoon creature from South America, um, that Gus tortured to death as a child. Uh, someone sent us a stuffed version of that uh, anonymously. It had a Amazon like gift card filled out, but it was blank. I don't mm. know if that's a mistake on uh, Be- Be- Bezos. Bezos. I don't know if it's Bezos doing it to you or like some some hiccup, but. Uh, 
Uh, thanks. We we had quite a good laugh over I, that. I don't know if I want to thank. That sounds like a warning to me. That sounds like a get your shit together Especially or one of you're going to be visiting Guatemala. One of the legs was torn off and dripping blood. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I can. I, I thought that was just like, you know, uh, a, a, a screen accurate rep- replica, but it could be seen as threatening for sure. Where was the shipping address? Was it Belize? It was it was Jeff Bezos apartment in Seattle. <laughs> Okay. Is what it is. That big glass bubble huh. thing. That was the shipping uh-huh. address. Um, all right. Dr. Cynthia has to chime in here on the subject of what's it going to take for Kim to leave since this has been a theme of the podcast. This is a little outdated since uh, Kim's done the whole okie doke turnaround, but I still think it's an interesting conversation. As a psychotherapist and relationship specialist, I've worked with hundreds of couples and even more individuals to talk about how dissatisfying their relationships are. They've said that they want to leave. They say that they should leave. They say they are going to leave, but then they do not. The truth is that overwhelming majority of women and, yes, men will not leave a relationship unless, wait for it, they meet someone else. You have to have somewhere to go, and it has to be something better than being alone. Furthermore, folks hate change. They're apt to say in the familiar rather than take the risk to leave. Ah, yes, it's the Mission Impossible 2. Monkey won't won't leave its branch until it's got its hand on another one theory. Uh, yeah, you hear that, Ernesto? It's your time to shine. <laughs> it's it's easy to say you'd never stay with the guy who blah, blah, blahs, but when you're in it, leaving is so much easier said than done. Uh, we all love the moment in TV or movies where he or she finally gets up the courage to walk away, but that just doesn't happen as much in the real world. The relevant question should be, who is Kim going to leave Jimmy for? I mean, Howard, the obvious answer is Howard, Howard, the sturdy tree branch to Mm -hmm. that's that's comfortably swung from that's in comfortable swinging distance from a person still gripping to the old shaky, rotten Jimmy tree. That nice, sturdy Howard branch is just right. Just right across. Easy. You don't even have to stretch for it, really. No, just just have to just just have to reach out and it'll be there. It'll be there. So he's a man who understands the value of therapy. He does. I mean, I I think they're they're a match made in heaven. It's plenty of cool, shady hamling hamlindigo blue foliage in this in this uh, this very sturdy Howard branch. Uh, it's an ideal ideal place for for a Kim to retreat to. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, that's that's a very good point. That like, and you know, unless you offer someone a better alternative, like you know, what the fuck? It's the devil, you know, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I like how like I, I think it's too late to introduce someone else. Uh, her with Schweikert makes me throw up a little bit in my mouth. So I'm gonna go with yeah. If she's gonna leave, it's gonna be Howard. Uh, Hatorian, listening to your cast for the last episode, you guys discussed how Saul simply benefited from Emilio making a deal with the DA. But Emilio is not the informant. The informant is Crazy Eight. Saul did work his magic. That's even crazier. That's mm. even crazier. The cops had inside information. Jimmy's still able to get him off. He's a superstar. <laughs> or maybe it was Kim. You know, if, if we're going with yeah. the theory that Kim's still pulling the strings. Kim's the, the woman behind the, the throne. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard from... So thanks for that correction. Um, to It's actually... The listener sent it in, and I just kind of went with it. But uh, but yeah, I obviously... What, four years? Something four years ago? I, I remember the last I talked about that. Uh, Richard from Austin, you guys were discussing last week around the same time I was listening to the new season of the Serial Podcast. Uh, episode one follows the case of a young lady who's charged with felony assault on a police officer. I don't want to spoil it too much, but a young lady goes to the bar with her friend and is getting harassed by a guy. 
The guy, uh, the bar fight ensues. The cops are called. A young lady is fighting multiple other bar assailants. And then the melee accidentally strikes a cop, and she is charged with felony assault. The entire podcast had me going, what the fuck is a Falzer story through the justice system? I thought it would, I would share with anyone who wants to hear a real story comparable to Hewell's. Uh, I actually, coincidentally, also listened to the first episode of Serial. And yeah, it, it will make you pissed, pissed off pissed hmm. off at what a sorry show the whole thing is so and it's it's very timely it's very nice tie-in to to better call Saul. um any other thoughts should we move on let's move on dr goodman uh he's on board with the kim theory this kim theory we've been talking about i think we've been given the biggest misdirection yet by the villa gang kim wexler is Saul goodman jimmy's just a front she's the one getting all these people off she's the one figuring out that a meth lab in a basement needs to be disclosed she's the one that makes Saul goodman a working law firm i i i'm start again starting to warm up to this theory because it would be a very fun twist to know that all of Saul's bluster is backed up by kim's very real legal expertise i don't know so, you don't know <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that because uh, the other thing is like, who is who's Jimmy Collin? Who's Gene Collin? Uh, mm-hmm. When he like like I, that's that's got to be if Kim was dead. I mean, it's got uh, to me. It's got to be Kim. Now that now that Chuck's out of the picture, there's no one else that he's that that, that we would give a shit four seasons into a post Gene connection or a post Saul connection like that. Uh, it's got to be Kim, and she can't be dead. Therefore, what's she doing? I don't know. That's my theory. Uh, well, actually, it's the internet's theory that I just cobbled onto. Uh, it's Dr. Goodman's theory, if anyone. Uh, Brian from Bel Air. Hey, guys, wanted to point out that even Kim knew that even though Kim knew she could throw her legal team weight around the DA, she may have seen another possible tell uh, that she used to her advantage. I believe it was episode four on Talk where the judge pulled Kim into his chambers to ask why she was sitting on this case. As he suspects, she is trying to get a righteous case to fulfill her self-worth, so he tells her the plot from the case from the Paul Newman court classic, The Verdict. Kim knew he was fucking with her, using a classic courtroom case for cinema, from cinema, and she knew that he would bite on one if given the opportunity. Even enter 1947's Miracle on 34th Street, possibly one of the most iconic courtroom scenes outside of To Kill a Mockingbird. I think Kim knew he would assume that the mass amounts of letters and the possible public outcry would go over as it did in the film. It's the last piece she needed to fall in place, and the judge himself gave it to her. Just a thought. Hashtag Kim to Wendy. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I actually, I think this is my new favorite. Like, some people, people ask, like, if you could ask one question to one person that had to give you the answer, what would it be? I kind of want to hit Peter Gould or Vince Gilligan with this one. Did, did you intend this to be a big cinematic reference because it makes a lot of sense? It does, yeah. I like it. Especially since he, yeah, yeah, I, I, that, 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 that's a great, great theory, Brian. You should get at least a couple internet points for that, even if it's not true, because it, it, it sounds like it should be. Uh, John H., I didn't quite follow your take on Kim from the Instant Podcast. To me, Kim all season long has been making moves to try to find out what makes her happy. And when she's holding the bottle cap in her office, she realizes that she's happiest when she's running scams with Jimmy. Uh, this email takes the place of about 10 that I got. It essentially said the same thing. Have we gotten Kim's art so badly wrong this whole time? I mean, it's certainly possible. It's possible. I'm not going to say absolutely not. We, we know everything here. Uh, it's just not how I read her. So what am I to do, Walter? I mean, 
yeah, and like I guess my after I've like, again John and everyone else who wrote in uh, the majority of the audience of the show, this is not an unreasonable point. My only thing is that when when someone's like searching about, to me that means, and you've got eight episodes to deal with. That to me that implies like. Uh, a, a search like she'd be trying different things like different experiments and to me the story they told was someone who was unfulfilled by corporate law who sought solace in the cla- t- into the courtroom helping people the downtrodden the injustices and that that was working very satisfactorily like one of the takes said the, the point of the montage last episode was to show Kim disillusioned by both sides of the work and man I didn't get that at all I did not get her framing these sincere expressions of thanks for saving their, her, their legal lives. I did not think that of, of, of her, like, you know, and Jimmy didn't either her intimate partner. So I don't, yeah, I, don't I mean, know. Here, here's the thing. Like I, I look at what the core of Kim's character is. And to me, the core of that character from everything we've been told is someone who wants to operate within the legal system yeah. to claim justice for people who are being wronged. Mm hmm. That's that's a fine legal thing to do. Uh, what I have not ever viewed as a core part of Kim's character is being willing to work outside the rules to do that. And that seems to be what she has decided to do here. Uh, yeah. Like Jimmy's character always is about working outside the rules, you know, uh, mm. th- they seemed to be two sides of a coin there. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I think in this episode, they've gone from they've sort of betrayed the core of Kim where, yes, OK, she's searching around. But this would I would think within Kim's mind that this would be off the table entirely. Like it's one thing to scam a guy at a bar for fun. It's another thing to essentially be a chimp with a machine gun. Right. Mm. The, the thing that Chuck was talking about when he described Jimmy is not what Kim is and it shouldn't in my opinion, ever cross her mind to become that. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know when the show tells me like over and over again, that Kim is very much against this kind of legal maneuvering, uh, illegal maneuvering in this case, that she can suddenly switch sides and I should be okay with it. Yeah. Cause you, you're right. This isn't, you know, sure. You can tell the story of her searching about for something to do, but that should be in consistent with what we think is like her internal kind of like North star. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't Not know, just I, some whim and some thing she's doing for fun. You know? And again, like it's, you know, not to harp on this, but they've had eight episodes to tell that story. And I feel like they're really, the only thing that's really selling this is her longing look at the cork bottle, <laughs> you know, the, the Zafiro cork. That's, yeah. That's a hairpin turn to take at 90 miles an hour um, when you could have same... slowed down and done it with a lot, over a lot more space and time. And in the same season where they show a flashback of Kim further cementing her core where she talks about all the amazing legal work that Chuck is doing, right? And how right. she envies him for it and looks up to him because he's working within the rules of law to get justice for somebody. Uh-huh. That's the core of Kim. And... We see the core of Jimmy, too, right? We go back to his flashbacks with his father. There, the core of Jimmy is cemented. And I feel like they've done that for both characters, and they're right. very different. And now they're kind of coming together in a weird way that I don't I don't buy. 
Uh, a couple other takes. Uh, Chris S. says, it pains me to think this, but I have a, a guess as to what is happening between Kim and Jimmy. Kim is partnering with the assistant uh, district attorney to set up Jimmy to catch him doing something illegal. Oh, Notice God. how they show her conversation with the ADA, but they don't show the sound. We don't really know what they were talking about. In fact, I could really not surprise, it really not surprise me if the whole letter writing thing was all part of the con. As Jimmy's probation closes to an end, Kim now sees the vision of the chimp with the machine gun. Uh, that he would even have resorted to tearing down a good cop, and she feels like she needs to do something about it. Uh, oh, the cherry on top. The real bad part is Jimmy catches on to it before it's too late and has to hire Mike to kill her in the ADA. So <laughs> no, they sh- no, 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 stop, stop, Chris, stop. Put that on the keyboard. I mean, uh, I wanted to tell him that when he started <laughs> typing, but... Uh, okay. Uh, that, okay. Would be, that would be shocking. And... I can almost see where you would come from in that direction, but it's it's a little little too far for me because, uh, yeah, like like her, I mean, there's so many opportunities that she'd have to talk in confidence with the ADA that it's like kind of silly that I think they would take the opportunity to, to drop the voice just so Jimmy, you know, they're discussing this intense betrayal of Jimmy, and he's like, oh, oh, is, is this you going to be okay? Like. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm on the same page as the writers at that point. Um, I don't know. I Why do I feel more inclined to believe this than Kim just loves scamming and she's all in on the, the illegal scams that they want to pull now? Yeah. Uh, Devin H. has another take. I think the relationship deterioration montage from the cold open of 407 is going to be looked at back with a double layer of sadness. The montage is inherently sad by itself, as discussed, but... What I think will make it more so is that we'll look back and think, man, that was actually a best-case scenario for Kim. Because the picture they're painting in that montage where she, she sticks to the straight and narrow, finds fulfillment in PD cases, and drifts apart from Jimmy was actually a good thing for her. Sad in the present, sure, but the best thing for her future, definitely. However, in the end of 408, things have now flip-flopped. Now she's got the taste of the scam life again. She's realized that the actual fulfillment that she's been seeking, first in her big case solo practice, then in PD work, has truly been satisfied in the scam. I think that this taste has rekindled their passion both professionally and relationally, and I think that's tragic because it's the worst thing that could have happened. Uh, Now, uh, this is the very thing I feel that will spell her death of her career, or perhaps actually as she gets caught in a legal scam, and she won't be able to blame Jimmy now that she's the one taking the initiative. Um... Yeah, I mean, if if the show continues to devolve down this path and Kim meets a bad end, it's a lot... Well, maybe it's more tragic mm-hmm. that it's not something that she got in solely out of pity for Jimmy, but she got caught up in the scam life. Man, I just, every time I say it, gets caught up in the scam life, it seems <laughs> right. absurd. It does. Kim got caught up in that scam life that's so seductive. So many people go down mm-hmm. that con man route. Um Anyway, Mike McKee McSee says, I coincidentally live very close to the cities that Saul traveled to in Louisiana. I work in Shreveport and live approximately 20 miles from Cachada. It was cool seeing my Louisiana towns in the episode, but they got the geography wrong. If I followed the sequence correctly, Jimmy traveled Shreveport, Lafayette, and down to Cachada. Shreveport is in the northwest corner of the state. Louis- Lafayette is way down south, approximately 50 miles from the coast. Cachada is around 45 miles south of Shreveport. Leslie traveled south and doubled back. They screwed it up, but at least they got the Cushada zip code right. Um, yeah, they mentioned on the instant, or not the instant, the official pod, that 
the Koshetta, like they kind of saw that as a little bit fairy tale because Koshetta is not that small of a city. It's not that big of a cat, like a small of a cow town. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's more of like evocative than literal, which I th- found shocking because I felt like Breaking Bad, they would have just done the geography right. Yeah. Um, or they would have picked a town that actually has a pastor that sounds like, you know, a Cajun cooking host, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but they just, you know, like, and that, that's not a big deal because honestly, I, I, I don't care either way. But I thought yeah, it was telling not- that they're just like, yeah, fuck it, you know. Sure. Ninety nine percent of the people don't care. So right. uh congratulations on being the one percent who happens to live near or in Cachada. Uh, no, it's a thriving metropolis of two million people. See, this is the kind of fucking mm. coastal bigotry these people have to endure. Uh Jeff Jeff P also grew up near Shreveport and says nearby town of Cachada pronounced Cachada. Cachada. Gotta remember, like the famous Chapatula Street in New Orleans, many names in Louisiana are Native American as transcribed by French people who spelled it based on an idiosyncratic phonology. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Louisiana Creole, that, that Bayo, Bay, Bayou Creole is, uh, is, is a trip. I mean, I don't know that I'm going to take pronunciation cues from a guy with crawdads in his pants. <laughs> is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, no, true, true. Uh, true words never <laughs> spoken. Uh, get, get that, get that bug problem fixed and then, then we'll take you seriously, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul L. This is a tough email to write as I hold Breaking Bad and until season four, Better Call Saul up as some of the best shows on television. But I think tonight's episode is the worst I've seen with Breaking Bad. With Breaking Bad, we're always left wondering what the plan was. But with the end of this last episode, the plan of writing protest letters is so obvious. You even called it out in your last podcast and saying it couldn't be that because it's too obvious and expected. Uh, with the strip club, I was expecting Mike to have the strip club built into the workers' complex, but when he opens it to reveal to be a public strip club, it feels like this is something Mike would never do. What's more obvious than one German in the middle of Albuquerque than a busload of Germans hiring out the entire strip club in the middle of Albuquerque? The adjacent bar was not restricted, and anyone could see them coming and going. What if a bar br- fight broke out and the police were called? And then there's the strippers. Uh, unless Gus sends them to wherever Tyrus sent the cleaners, what is uh, there's got to be another loose end. Why not hire the strippers and bring them to the complex? It just seems like sloppy writing, something that I never would have said about the show. I mean, hmm. I do th- I do agree that the secrecy of this Super Lab project is all over the map in terms of the links they're going in some areas, but then it seems like obvious flaws in others, like letting people meet Gus Fring. Uh, you know, like the, I, I just take it for granted. These people know they're now, in fact, Mike said they were in Albuquerque. If, if Werner didn't yeah. know before he said, you're in Albuquerque, I'm in Germans. And like, <laughs> so like, I, I honestly, I think the show is a little schizophrenic and, and, and a little sloppy in how consistently to apply this. Yeah. Especially when you think about, like, the reality of keeping someone ignorant of where they are for 10 months, like a smart person. I don't know. Um, Shelly in Chicago. I'm not sure what Lalo was making, but I do love me some chili quiles, uh, the awesome tortilla-egg combo dish you mentioned at the end of the instant take. Thank you. I I, I, I honestly don't think I've ever heard that word, but I I, I thought it was heard, like, called something else. But, yeah, chili chili quiles. Um you were about to say something about chili quiles? No. <laughs> oh, yeah. Would you want one right uh, now? It's it's my breakfast pretty much every morning. <laughs> and then burritos for lunch. You're just, you uh-huh. live on a strictly Tex-Mex diet. It's yeah, you don't want to sit next to me on a bus. I can tell you that much. <laughs> no. God, no. As a person who sat next to him on many a flight, 
the chilaquiles start acting up at altitude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> at one atmosphere, they're kind of contained, but once that <laughs> slips, uh-uh. Uh, Vicky in, I've been meaning to write you guys for about this for years because Jimmy's antics have always given me that cringy, physically uncomfortable feeling you talked about to the point where I simultaneously look forward to and dread watching this show at the same time this year, though, especially with the shenanigans of last week at the party, this feeling has been off the charts. It turns out the Germans have a word for this frim shaman, a sense of vicarious, vicarious embarrassment. I keep hoping Werner will teach it to Mike with regards to how he feels about Kai and make my world complete, but so far, no luck. Um, Vicky, did you see this on Reddit yesterday? Because the weird thing is, I was in a, fre- a thread where they were talking about this, and someone dropped a frim shaman, and I'm like, holy shit, that's the exact word I want to use to describe this feeling I, I, I feel when, when Saul's doing this shit in front of people, and then you beat me through the punch. Like, it's it's got, like, that's... There's got to be a German word for seeing the same new word twice in less than 24 hours. New words in Dove's the Dugan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, Nailed as, it. Uh, yeah. Targen. I don't know. Guten Targ. That's good. Morn Targ. Word, Worden of the Targen. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, thanks for that. Um, Matt C. I just want to say that I love this episode. I'm usually right on with your takes before I hear them. And I was thus expecting to hear, to hear you guys love the episode. So I guess I was shocked was specifically how you felt about Kim and Jimmy Ark. So you know how we feel about the mm-hmm. show itself. We were shocked. Shocked and uncharacteristically dismayed. To me, at the moment as it's happened, I was right on board. I was like, oh, yes, of course they're going to get it on now. I didn't want to get into all the subtle justifications one way or another that Kim should, A, either have said, fuck Jimmy and run after this last heist, or B, why things out- turned out the way they did, except to say, Kim is with Jimmy. For me, why would she be with him? She knows who he is deep down, and deep down that must enliven what exists in her, despite, sure, her more tame programming. I don't know, guys. It just made sense to me. It worked as if it was happening, and I thought it was awesome. Um, I thought it also somewhat to do with how Kim has been played and portrayed this season. Just throwing out a theory, but are you guys sure you have been writing a take for Kim that's just not completely there? I mean, it's your job to come up with takes. So maybe you latched on to something that's actually something like a, from a far more neutral position. Meanwhile, I've been watching a super subtle hands close to the vest depiction of Kim pretty much this entire show, specifically this season. I'm not sure what drives Kim's, and maybe that's the point that she's not either. Um, so this is another kind of, and he goes on and saying that like in Breaking Bad, when Walt recorded the false confession and showed to Hank that he thought that was a load of bullshit and we thought it was brilliant. So he's like, you know, he, he's essentially drawing common cause with this, but he wonders if this isn't a, the situation for, for us. And no, I mean, I, I'm willing to admit that I am in the minority with this opinion. Yes. Uh, most people liked what happened in this episode and thought it was great, in fact. Yeah. Uh, and that perhaps I have misread Kim, but you know I've given all the all the explanations of the readings I have of Kim, yeah. and and why they led me to the feelings I have about this episode. I mean that's all we, that's all we can do. I yeah. mean like maybe in another couple of weeks, and especially seeing seeing how the season goes, we might completely be completely persuaded. But like you know it would be weird if we're like you know someone just points out one or two things. We're like oh yeah fuck we got their whole last eight episodes wrong. Um, Sure. We have our subjective opinions on stuff too. So I don't know. I like again, this doesn't make this the worst show ever. Um <laughs> no. and it's hard it's even hard with this the the era of television we're living right now to say an individual episode is the worst. 
because they are a chapter in what is a novel that's eventually a five book set, you know? So Mm -hmm. like a chapter can be redeemed by later developments and, you know, um, like, like, like looking back, you could see this as being like the big turning point that puts everything in perspective, or, you know, it could be the thing where like breaking bad or better call Saul found its ceiling and never really got higher than that. So, um, because I think there is a little bit of a legacy on the line for this show, right? Like, uh, it's pedigree is one of the best shows on television. I think with the death of Chuck, they were reaching those heights. But like you said, they need to follow that with a season four and season five, like breaking bad to continue like the living up to that lineage. And I know people get frustrated when we talk about it like that, but shit that's how this show's talked about yeah i mean breaking bad is my favorite show of all time so to try and live up to that for me is Mm. i mean you're gonna have to make the second best show i've ever seen right uh i i don't know that they're hitting those heights uh this season and i i do pin a lot of that on chuck being gone i think chuck as the linchpin antagonist uh, in this series was a really good one. The back and forth that he and his brother had were engaging. Uh, and it kept me constantly, uh, worried for Jimmy, worried Mm. for Chuck, worried for the, the combo, the relationship of these brothers. And that's gone now. And I, and I know they're intentionally kind of, you know, floundering a bit. Like they're, they're showing Jimmy floundering. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to react. Uh, I know that's intentional, but it doesn't make it entertaining. Yeah. Uh, and and that's the thing that made me really love Breaking Bad. It was relentlessly entertaining. Well, the other thing is about Breaking Bad is Walt always had a a great villain to contrast with. And since the death yeah. of Chuck, Jimmy, on the Jimmy plot, which is the A plot of the show, hasn't really had an antagonist. Uh, yeah, and every time they were going to eliminate an antagonist for Walt, uh-huh. they were at the same time building a new antagonist for right. him, right? He, his profile, lay, and he leveled up. It was a nice, clear progression. This, like, absolutely, on the mic and Gus, there's all kinds of sharks in the water circling around. But in Jimmy, it's been essentially man versus himself mm-hmm. this entire season, uh, or man versus his girlfriend, which isn't as, as compelling as, you know, the two brothers locked in this eternal fucking you know jacob and esau type struggle this this cain and abel type struggle so yeah certainly not for me um kenny says am i the only one that thinks that jim wants or kim wants to roll kevin he seems prime for it and don't for one minute think that kim wouldn't get off their shared rolling of kin wins or didn't get off on their shared rolling kin wins this is the email that that birthed my crazy theory that Kim would try <laughs> to take like take kevin for a ride for big money which i think she absolutely could she, I mean, he does seem like a tool. He, he seems right. like an asshole. I don't. Right. I don't like Kevin at all. Uh, oh, really? I, I think I he's would... all right. <laughs> I, I his his fucking patronizing bullshit with Paige yeah. always just irks me. Like, he's oh, a you, ritual, you were dude. right, Paige. This time, yeah. Uh, right. th- fuck that guy. Like, right. <laughs> I don't know. I I hate Kevin, and I think <laughs> I would be happy to see Kevin rolled by Kim. Uh-huh. But I don't know that I would be happy to see Kim rolling Kevin, if that makes any sense. No, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. I think okay. we can purse that through the filter of what you've said throughout the episode. Yeah. Um, see, John M. has another point. I think this is the final point from, uh, for, for, for Kim. Um, 
Remember that Kim was in a major car accident last season and very likely could have gotten a concussion. If you remember how dazed and quiet she was in episodes immediately after a crash, sometimes it feels like she's never fully come out of that malaise. Um, I, so here's the thing. That's a perfectly cromulent theory that makes a lot of sense, but in the rules of television, the villain, the villa gang would have to get, tell us that this is a thing. You know, they told a story of her fully healing from her medical, from her medical problems. There's not like a buzzing in her head. There's not like, you know, disorientation or nausea. Like if they're, if she's still under the effects of a concussion, I would like to an exploration of that medically by the show, because otherwise so, it's so just, let me, I, I, I need to, I need to spell this out. Uh huh. So the theory here. <laughs> is that Kim got in a car accident, got a concussion, and has suffered brain damage and is now acting erratically because of it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. She's had a change of personality. Uh, let's just say I agree with you. They have not done enough to quite spell that out, if that's uh-huh. in fact what's happening. Um, Ryan has a question that I don't have an answer to as far as, what is Gus's relationship with Madrigal Electromotive? And Breaking Bad, when Gus first shows up, chronologically speaking, with Max poolside at Don Eladio's house, it stated that they have one restaurant in Mexico called Pollos Hermanos. Fast forward to season five, where Mike is questioned by Hank, and he states that Pollos has 14 locations. We know that Pollos is a subsidiary of Madrigal, but Gus also owns Pollos? This seems contradictory. Why would Madrigal buy a chain of 14 restaurants in the southwest U.S.? And more importantly, why would Gus sell his business to the German company knowing it will only bring more prying eyes on his business, especially when he's transporting meth using the trucks? Could Gus actually be a majority shareholder of Madrigal through shells and run everything, or is that just wishful thinking? Hmm. That's a good question, because all we know is that someone high up on the German side of Madrigal Electric Motive's food division knew about Gus being dirty enough to blow his brains out when the heat started to come in on him. Uh, so that is much like the Chilean Pinochet regime stuff, just a very interesting background detail that they have thus not really explained uh, about about Gus. Got some head cannon that I can... Unload. Preach. So I think what's going on here is that yes, Gus does not in fact own Los Poyos, uh, that Madrigal does. I don't know if he's on the board or what, but I think the majority of his money is coming from his drug operation. I think mm-hmm. that's safe to say. Uh I got the impression that he worked with Madrigal to get all of the parts shipped in, you know. Um and he probably did that for his chicken restaurants as well. Hmm. Like a lot of a lot of just heavy machinery. Um, the kind of gear you'd need for that stuff. So I think that's what got them in bed. Like when he was outsourcing, you know, machinery for the super lab, perhaps, you know, he, he came upon Madrigal and he went to them with, a an offer like, Hey, uh, I'll give you the company. You can, uh, supply my super lab essentially. And, and, and just kind of look the other way on everything I'm doing on the side. Mm Mm-hmm even though they know about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I guess like that's why would he involve? So that explains the connection, but why would he involve the higher up of, of the parent company in his illegal dealings? Because like, if you just want to procure parts and equipment, you can hide those big p- cookers and stuff and all the other industrial shit you get for the, ch- you know, he's got a fucking chicken farm and all this other stuff. Like, yeah, 
it, it doesn't quite explain why he has the involvement through, uh, no doubt, Lydia several rungs up the uh, the Madrigal chain of command. Um, mm-hmm. I just think that just makes him seem a lot more like a big worldwide syndicate kind of kingpin. Just like having him be like connected to the Pinochet regime is like a tantalizing detail that makes him more mysterious and more powerful. Um, so, but you know, is that that that's like opposite of the? I don't know. I guess you could be like that's the other thing is like didn't they did? There's not there's a survey that says most like CEOs and like international magnet leaders aren't they some sort of sociopath anyway? Like Probably. maybe this is all know. like this is all they're all on the same type of spectrum. Like maybe this is mm. all you know this is this is this is all consistent with the characterization or point they're painting. Um, I have to ask Doctor Goodman because he's the brains behind ele- uh, uh, magical electromotive. Uh, Daniel says sometimes during your discussions you attribute creative technical decisions to Vince while discussing season four, but my limited understanding of Better Call Saul's current production is that Vince is not involved in writer's room for this season, or at least was only involved in early stages, and he referred to his role this year as director for hire. Until Vince Mm -hmm. decides to re-enlist for further seasons, it's time to switch to showrunner credit blame from Vince to Peter to just Peter. The Villa Gang is now the Gula Gang, or the Gooligans. I like the Gooligans. Mm. Yeah. Uh, So he got a bunch of different interviews where he essentially is a a different, like, like Vince essentially has said this season, like, I was not involved except for the very early stages of the season, and also I directed he directs next the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um so he's taking a step back. I know he's working on the Jonestown shit for HBO, so maybe as as things are heating up with that, he he got pulled into that. Um but also this is this was kind of like I think a planned uh transition of power as well. That this is a co created thing that eventually he's gonna hand off to Peter Gould. Uh so I guess I'm on board with pitch, p- putting more of the credit slash blame on on the the ghoul himself, but uh, the uncomfortable conversation to have is, um, boy, it would suck to be Peter Gould and have people decide the season four and five is a disappointment. Yeah, it sure would. Uh, uh, I would be I would feel bad for the gentleman if that's if that it'd be like if uh, who did uh, who wrote Sopranos right Ch- Chase. Uh, because because you know uh, Matthew Weiner was the his like heir apparent right, and imagine if he co-created mm-hmm. Mad Men with Matthew Weiner, and then season three dipped out, and four, five, six, and the rest of the seasons kind of like were disappointing. That'd have been terrible for Matthew Weiner. Like this would be terrible for Peter yeah. Gould if 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 the luster if the, the, the comes off a little bit. So I, I I'm not rooting for that for sure. No, and here's why I kind of blame you know not having these uh restrictions on a lot of the problems here that i see is because you know peter gould was involved in breaking bad right Mm -hmm. it's not like he came out of nowhere for better call saul Mm -hmm. breaking bad had used a lot of the same tricks that now better call saul is employing and used them to really good effect like a montage is no breaking bad was no stranger to a montage right uh now i think you know having a major success like breaking bad they probably came back and Vince Gilligan has taken a step back. One of the guiding forces, the major guiding force of Breaking Bad has taken a step back on this show. Uh, Peter Gould has stepped up and I think for the most part has done a really excellent job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think also the thing that where he might be getting into trouble is just overindulging in the things that he sees as the fun part of 
of Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad and not having the restrictions like you got to stick to a 42 minute episode, Peter, uh, or you can't, you know, you can't. I I don't know. You you can't just do this five minute shot because you feel like it. You need it to be telling a story here. Mm-hmm. I feel like some of that stuff is working against him, and mm-hmm. and he's being allowed to indulge in it too much. Hmm. Could be. It could be. Like I said, it's 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 tough to because like I, those indulgent touches, I think were in all the seasons. So it's like I don't know that it, it was like right. a matter of Vince like putting the brakes on, and then he's not there, and it's going. Uh, and, and that's the part of the show that I've always complained about is mm-hmm. the overindulgence in certain aspects of it and like the, fan the montages, service, montages, which are, montages yeah. are essentially fan service too. Because, like as we said, that's you know, like like it's also getting to the point where every single time there's a trunk cam, which is where how we open this this thing, it's like that's getting a little bit. Huh. I don't know. Like, what is the difference between the call like a hallmark of a show and like a a trope that a show engages in? Uh, well, I think the difference in my mind comes into effect when you're just doing it to do it. You're not doing it because, you know, you have a good reason. Like, I think the montage from last episode is stellar. I think that's great. Showing yeah. Kimmy and Jim drifting apart in a in a five-minute montage was excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, they, they don't seem to have, in a lot of episodes, they don't seem to have a real purpose for it other than this is the hallmark of this show, so we got to do it. Right. Yeah. Well, that's all the feedback we got. Um, do you have any other closing thoughts, or we'll say goodbye to these fine folks? Uh, BetterCastSaw at BaldMove.com is how you send in feedback. We also have the forums at forums.baldmove.com if you'd like to discuss each show on a weekly basis with your fellow fans. Uh, you can follow along uh, all the social medias at BaldMove, and we'll be back next week. Don't forget, every Monday we have the Instant Take podcast. If you're a club member, you can join us. You can you can uh, chat in by going through the link on baldmove.com and chatting with us live on YouTube after the first airing of the show. Uh, we'll be back next week for that and our full podcast. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you later.